All right, Luke chapter 15. Let's go there together. Luke chapter 15. I jumped the gun there twice, thinking it was my time to come up here, and I was wrong each time. I think part of that's because Southland likes music. Like, you sing it like you like it. Shouldn't that the way it be all the time? <laughs> then at some camps where it's like, hey, the preacher doesn't want to preach that long, so do so- two songs so we don't have to preach very long. But here, they sing from their hearts, and I appreciate it very, very much. Okay, today in, in the, the, the session, the afternoon session, the class time we had, uh, we were taking different passages. If you remember this, I'm trying to jog your memory to go back all the way to 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, we were taking different passages, and what we were doing is we were looking at those passages to discover who Jesus is. Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay, shake out the cobwebs if you remember that. Okay, very good. And I explained to you the reason why we were doing that, and, and, I, and I trust that that was helpful for you in, in beginning to understand, uh, to look at the Scripture in a different way than we are used to looking. Tonight, uh, what we're going to be dealing with from Luke chapter 15 is the issue of forgiveness. Is forgiveness what God does? Well, sure, but it's much broader than that, much deeper than that, much fuller than that. Forgiveness is not just what he does, it's who he is. See, sometimes we think uh, we go to Jesus and asking for forgiveness, and we figure, well, he probably has to forgive me whether he likes it or not, and I hope he, I catch him on a good day, and so we, uh, we rec- recognize that uh, you know, his blood paid for our forgiveness, and so we take the forgiveness, but we're not sure if he really wants to because we don't realize that forgiveness is the very nature of Christ. The song we sang a little bit ago, Born to Die, is revealing that the purpose that Christ came, the reason he went through the agony of the garden, The reason that he allowed his body body to be beaten and bruised was so that he could grant forgiveness. I want you to know, young people, forgiveness is something Jesus longs to do. I used that illustration this afternoon uh, at 1 o'clock, and I just want to remind you of the, uh, the, the, the necessity of understanding this because as the biographer mentioned of Oswald Chambers' life, sometimes what God does can be confusing, but who God is is never confusing, and that's why it's important to understand who Christ is. We're in Luke chapter 15 here this evening. This is a passage that we're all familiar with, I would imagine. Uh, it is a, a trilogy of parables that Jesus is giving in Luke chapter 15. He talks about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the final parable of those three, the parable of the lost son, or also it is sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, we've all heard that phrasing, that titling. We know it's a story about a boy that will run away from home, and, but maybe this evening we ought to take a little deeper dive into not just looking at who the son is, but look at who the father is in this passage. Look with me in Luke chapter 11, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. We're going to read here as Jesus begins to tell this story. Luke 15, 11, he says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, 
He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. In that text here, when we're often titling this story, we focus on the son, that he is the prodigal son. Could I ask you, is there anybody here that knows the definition of the word prodigal? Someone, if you're a brave soul, if you think you know the definition of the, ter- of the word prodigal, raise your hand and shout it out. Yes, sir, in the blue shirt. Favorite is not the definition. Good try. Probably there's going to be several of you going to throw out a definition that isn't actually the right definition, but someone else give me, and I just, I just set you up, right? Set you up for failure. But go ahead. Somebody else yell out what you think it means. Micah? Lost. That's what I thought, or wayward. That's what I thought the word meant. But actually, it doesn't mean lost, and it doesn't mean wayward. Sometimes you'll hear someone say, hey, the prodigal has returned. And what they usually mean is the long-lost brother-in-law, or the long-lost uncle, or whatever it is. But it doesn't mean lost. Yes, in the back. Yes, sir. No, no, no. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Yes, sir. No, it doesn't mean that. Okay, I think we're getting off a little bit off track here. Okay, so here, well, uh, Micah, Micah's definition is probably more similar to what most of us think. Here, I'll just hold on there, guys. I'll give it to you here in just a minute. Most of us often think lost or, or wayward. But the word prodigal actually means lavish or extravagant. Of course, I read this text, we we realize why the boy is called the prodigal because he takes the money that his father had given to him and he goes into the town, he basically blows everything in a very lavish lifestyle. But I would contend this evening that this story could be renamed the prodigal father because here in this story we see a demonstration of lavish, excessive love and forgiveness that most of us are not used to. I'm sure you're aware of this, but the young men in this story, both brothers, are supposed to be pictures of us as human beings, whether you're the younger brother or the older brother. And actually the thrust of this uh, parable was directed at the Pharisees because he's trying to show them, boys, you're the older brother. And, And if I could take the time, I'd love to take the time to actually develop that part because the whole parable is actually about the older brother. But here in this text... I want us to see an illustration of who our Father is. I believe that's why Jesus is giving it. Who our Father is and that he is a Father who gives lavish, excessive forgiveness. 
Here as we are introduced to the two sons, uh, Jesus is telling us this story. He sets up the story by revealing there's a father, and it seems he's a wealthy man. There's a father, and he has two boys. The older brother's the one that does it all right. He always does what dad wants him to. He sticks with the stuff. He's faithful. He's got the right standards. He's got the work, right work ethic. He doesn't have his dad's heart, but at least he's doing it all right, or at least in his mind he's doing it right, and therefore he believes he ought to be rewarded for doing it right. He is the self-righteous one. And then the younger boy, the younger one who comes to his father and asks him an incredibly disrespectful, uh, makes a disrespectful request. Look with me in verse 12. The scripture says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. Now, I'm sure all of us understand, if you've ever heard this text uh, mentioned or, or preached on, I'm sure we understand that this is disrespectful. But the idea here is the boy is coming to dad and saying, hey, dad, you know the money that you've worked for? You know the industry that you've built up? Uh, you know the stocks and bonds that you have that, that I'm getting when you die? You know, dad, I don't have time. I don't have patience to wait till you croak. Give it to me now. To, to put it in our context, uh, there is a, there's a pastor friend of mine who lives, well, I, shouldn't, I won't name the state, uh, but he's up north, way up north, western northern states. Uh, he's got several adult children. One of them is not walking with the Lord. Several years ago, this boy called his father out of the blue. They do not have a good relationship. The boy called his father and said, Dad, I heard that you've been taking uh, annual fishing trips to Canada. The dad says, yes, we do it once a year, maybe once every two years. And the boy says, you need to stop because you're spending all my inheritance. That is the level of disrespect that this boy is coming to his father with. Now, let me just ask you, if you were the father, what would you do with that boy? I'd tell him, turn around, son, I'm going to break my foot off in your rear end. That's what I'd say. But notice that's not what the father does in this text. See, I'm amazed by this. Do you think the dad was surprised when his boy came up with a selfish, disrespectful request? I mean, do you think the dad was kind of like, you know, both my sons, man, they're walking with God, they're doing right, and all of a sudden the one boy comes up and he's like, oh, oh my goodness, I didn't know you were selfish. Do you think that's what's happening in this text? No, if this boy is of age, and it seems likely he is, the scripture doesn't give us a, an age of the boy, but if this young man is going to take the money, he's going to leave town, and he's going to go down to the red light district, and he's going to blow his money with, with prostitutes and alcohol, it is likely that the boy is at least 21, at least in our context. So let's, we can all agree, I think, that, the, that he's not a 12-year-old, he's a young man, and if he is a young man, 18, 20, 21, 25, whatever he is, dad has had plenty of time to watch this boy grow up. He knows the character of his son. He knows the dispositions of his son. He knows the laziness of his son. He knows the inconsistencies of his son. So when the boy comes up to dad and says, hey, dad, fork out half, your or half, the, half the, uh, the nest egg, the dad knows exactly what's going to happen when he gives him the money. And what does the father do? See, I find this fascinating because I'd never given the money. That's a poor investment. Except the father knows that this is what the boy needs. And so he gives it to him. Not because he needs the money, but because this is what it's going to take to bring him back to the father. So the father willingly, not, not grudgingly, uh, not saying, no, 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 I'll prove to you you're going to be a waste, you're going to be useless. No, he didn't say that. At least the text doesn't reveal that. He simply gives him the money, fully expecting to receive the boy back if he would return. Keep in mind, young people, 
God allows us sometimes to make poor, stubborn mistakes. Not because he's trying to thumb his finger in our face and say, I told you so, but because he knows that may just be what brings them back and he will allow you to make a failure full intending to forgive you when you return. So the father here gives the boy the money. Verse 13, and not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there, it's his MO, he wastes his substance with riotous living. Dad knew that's what was going to happen. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. That word want means lack. So the scripture is telling us that he he's took all the money that he had, he spends it all recklessly and now he's in a position where he doesn't have any more money and the times go bad, 2020 hits, you know, uh, COVID hits or whatever. They go through a difficult time and he has nothing, he has no money to, to spend any longer and now he, he has to eat so he goes and gets a job. Verse 15, he went and joined himself uh, to a citizen of that country. And where does the employer send this Jewish boy? Into the fields to feed swine. The boy still hasn't come to himself. Verse 16, and would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. He finally has hit the end of his rope. The boy is finally coming to the place where he realizes, oh, what am I doing? Verse 17, the phrase that probably many mothers have prayed all throughout history and when he came to himself, praying for that boy, praying for that husband, praying for that daughter, oh Lord, bring them to the place where they'll finally come to himself. That's what the boy does. He finally says, what am I thinking? What am I doing? I used to be living in five-star hotels. I used to drink the finest of wine and have anything I wanted. And now I'm, I'm not even eating as, as good as pigs are. What am I thinking? This is the very first place he has to come to understanding I'm in a terrible mess. He doesn't know how to get out of the mess, but he knows he's in a mess. And then he begins to remember. And notice what he remembers. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I, I perish with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So this is what he remembers. He's sitting there in the pig pen. He's not eating well and pigs are eating better. And he's thinking, what am I doing? And he remembers the goodness of his father. He remembers, man, back in the home country where my dad has employees, man, those employees are treated well my dad's a good employer and he's thinking to himself I'm his son and I'm eating worse than the employees and he remembers the goodness of his father but notice what he does not remember he does not know the forgiveness of his father because his assumption is dad won't take me back as a son the only thing that I am worthy of now is to come back and be a slave I'm worthy of being disowned I'm not worthy of being a son and so the young man in true repentance, begins to rehearse his confession as he makes his way home. Have you ever been there? You know you're going to go to your parents and get something right, and so you're wanting to make sure your confession is phrased just right, and so you're rehearsing it to yourself as you're walking. I'm imagining this is what the boy's doing, because he says in his mind, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, and, and truly, I'm going to say it. Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. That's why I believe this boy was genuine. I believe he was sincere. And so he's on his way home, and here the scripture reveals the heart of his father. Verse 20. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That picture right there in verse 20. Truly, young people, if you could put another New Testament passage in, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. It's right there. The father who loves his child because he, because he is his child will never stop loving his child because he is his child. And when the father sees the boy crest the hill, he recognizes that walk. He knows that gate. He's seen it before. The father, he's there on the front porch looking for the boy every day. When he sees him crest the hill, the father doesn't say, so the prodigal's returned. That's not how it happened. The boy didn't come down in, into the, the compound there and say, hey, hey guys, has anybody ever seen dad? Anybody, anybody know where dad is? And the servant said, whoa, somebody's home. Yeah, dad's down at the butcher shop. That didn't happen. The boy didn't have to come searching for the father. The father was looking for him, and the father takes off running. Now, I wonder if maybe this boy is thinking kind of like Jacob thought with Esau. Oh, boy, <laughs> we are in trouble when Esau's coming towards him. But what he finds, like Jacob, is a father who gives lavish forgiveness. Notice how far the young boy gets in his confession. He, he, when, when he's rehearsing his confession, he says, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, and I'm not worthy to be called thy son. So the boy comes up with both the confession and the consequences. And notice how much of that rehearsed uh, uh, recitation he gets to his father. Uh, the, the father funds, runs, falls on his neck, kisses in verse 21, and the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and began to be merry. Dad heard the confession, but Dad said, I'll take care of the consequences. Were there consequences from the boy's sin? Oh, absolutely. He lost an inheritance he could not gain back. He has remorse and regret from the lifestyle that he lives. Likely he has scars from the things that he has done. Oh, there is consequences. But when it comes to the father, the father is ready to pardon. Young people, do you realize that's who your God is? See, as I mentioned before, sometimes we think we've got to convince God that we are worthy of being forgiven. And yet that's not who God is. He knew full well when he came to earth what kind of people he was dealing with. God is not up in heaven saying, you know, now, now, now Jesus, uh, Holy Spirit, and, and, the, and the angels, you know, we've been working on these people down there, and we, we really think that they've been going to enough conferences that, they, that all young people who are Christians should probably be pretty well sanctified by 13. Maybe we'll give them until 16, but by 18, they really aren't going to sin that much because, you know, they've gone to a lot of good conferences. And then when we sing, sin at 16 and 18 and 20 and 21, the Holy Spirit's going, oh, I, I didn't know that they were such sinners. That's not how it happens. God has known for 6,000 years. God has known before eternity passed what kind of sinners we were, and he was fully prepared with all the love of Calvary to extend forgiveness over and over and over again. Nehemiah 9 and I believe it's Psalm 85 both use a very similar phrasing in helping us to understand the very character of God, and this is the phrasing, that God is full of compassion, ready to pardon. Let me read those verses for you because I want you to get the full weight of them. For the Lord 
art good, thou, Lord, art good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger of of great kindness. The scripture is telling us that forgiveness is God's knee-jerk reaction. I'm not trying to be crass in the way I put this in the way I refer to God, but what I'm trying to communicate to you young people is this. God is itching for the opportunity to forgive. Not looking for an opportunity to banish. Imagine with me here tonight. I'm going to use these young ladies here in the front row, okay? Hopefully you guys help this illustration. Young ladies, there's the six of you. If this evening while I was preaching, a snake slithered in that door here. And let's just say the front row here, they were asleep. They didn't pay attention to it. And so the snake's making its way across. They, maybe they think it's a power cord from one of the speakers. But anyways, it, it makes its way across and it starts to go over your feet. What would you do? I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Okay, you don't help the illustration. She said, oh my goodness, this is so cool. Not cool. Okay, so, but, but what would you do? I would jump and roll away. Okay, right, if... If you, if a snake went across your feet and your reaction is to jump and run away, raise your hand if that's what would be your reaction, okay? A good amount of you. Some people like animals in a way that I will never understand. Okay, but hold on, listen up here. Let me just ask, for those of you who just raised your hand a minute ago, and I'll, I'll reference you here, would you think about it? Would you debate it in your mind? Would you consider, you know, Brother Reed's preaching, and if I jump and scream and run out of the way, I might be a distraction to people. Would you even think about that? No, would you just jump instinctively? Yes, because why? She's a girl. (laughs) How many guys would jump to? Come on, thank you. Okay, I would jump to. All right, now listen. Here's here's the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Instinctively, instinctively, Inbred in most of us, there is a fear of snakes, spiders, small reptiles, you know, darkness, whatever. And we would not even consider, we wouldn't debate it in our mind. The snake begins to slither. Our internal reaction, how we are made, we would, ah! you know, we just immediately <laughs> jump out of the way, okay? Take, take a mother, for instance. Okay, so listen, Mrs. Gordon, you're one of the mothers that I've, I've met here, okay? So let's just say, Mrs. Gordon, could you just stand so everybody sees you? Okay, Mrs. Gordon here, you are a mother, right? Okay, she is a mother. All right. Okay. Imagine with me, Mrs. Gordon is out by the front camp entrance, and my little Gilbert's on his bike, and he's out there, and he puts his bike down, and he starts walking out to the the, the highway that's running by there. You know, the semi-trucks and the log trucks go flying by. Do you think Mrs. Gordon would be like, you know, he's not mine. I didn't birth him. I'm not as invested. would Would she think about that? Instinctively, what would you do? She'd run out there and grab him. Why? Because she's a mother. A mother is who she is. So here's what I'm trying to communicate. Young people, this is what I'm trying to communicate. When it comes to Christ, forgiveness is his nature. When people ask in repentance, ask for forgiveness. He doesn't debate. He doesn't wonder. He doesn't pull up their track record and find out who's been naughty or nice. His nature is to forgive. Anybody ever heard, heard the phrase, uh, we're going to find out what you're made of? Ever heard that phrase? We're going to find out what you're made of. 
Sometimes you'll hear it in a sporting context, maybe. They'll say uh, to the defensive uh, team there, getting ready to go out on the football field, okay, guys, get a hold them there. We're going to find out what you're made of. The idea is that when you're put to the test, when trials come, when difficulty is there, we're going to find out what's inside of you. You'll often hear that, maybe that phrase, when it comes to military training. Take some of your special forces, whether it be the Green Berets or maybe the Navy SEALs. In their training, by design, they are trying to find out what these guys are made of, are they not? Are you familiar with the, the training there uh, at Coronado Beach? One of their Navy SEAL training, uh, one of the weeks is called Hell Week. And the idea is they want to put the men through the most difficult experiences they can think of because they want to weed out all the boys that are there just for the uniform and for the girls. So they, they want to remove those guys. The attrition rate in the Navy SEAL training is something like 82%. So in a group of 100 guys, they are 82 guys are quitting because they're trying to get down to that core. 18 fellas, maybe 20 guys. that They know it. Now, in a group of 100, there's only maybe about 20 guys that really have what it takes. So what they do is they put them through, as it has been said, a living hell, trying to find out what they are made of. They strip away everything that is comfortable and familiar. They take away your ability to tell time. Uh, they shave their heads. They take away clothing. They put them into the 50-degree surf, and they tell them to uh, get wet and sandy, and they push them for days without sleep and without food, and they want to know, what are you made of when I put you through pain and I strip away everything comfortable and you can't lean on your friends and you can't lean on your parents and you have nothing left that is, that is nice? We want to find out who you are. Track with me when Christ was hanging on the cross. Everything had been stripped away. Your paintings will always put him in a loincloth, but he was not in a loincloth. Roman crucifixion was primary with the topic of shame. They wanted to shame you, so they weren't wearing anything. They had brutalized him beyond anything Mel Gibson can ever portray on the silver screen. He had been put through an incredible torture, but even a step farther, he's hanging there now. His prized disciples have run from him. Uh, even God the Father, who is his most prized relationship, that, uh, that relation has been cut off as the Father turns his back on him and their Christ, having lost anything that would make him kind or nice, humanly. We find out what he's made of, and he cries out, Father... Forgive them. Because forgiveness flows from the very body of Christ. Young people, I want you to understand that when you and I go to Jesus asking, looking for forgiveness, we don't have to twist his arm. He's not sitting there with his arms crossed wondering, well, are you going to mess up again? No, he's longing to forgive. One of the most famous verses that we're all familiar with, 1 John 1, 9. Uh, if you know this, the verse, say it with me. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse tells us two things about Christ's forgiveness. It says he's faithful and he's just. He is faithful to forgive. In Yellowstone Park, there is a geyser. You all familiar with it? It's called Old Old faithful. Unsaved, atheistic scientists can set their clocks by that geyser. And they've called it old faithful. 
And here's what I want you to know, young people. When it comes to forgiveness, Christ is more predictable. He says, I'm faithful, and I have never failed. If you ask forgiveness, I'm faithful. And he says, I'm just, which means it's been paid for. Which means if you ask for forgiveness, you must receive it. Justice demands you receive forgiveness. Imagine with me, and this has happened to us several times, but imagine with me we get to a revival meeting and, and my wife and I, we pull in and, and uh, the pastor meets us and, and he says, hey, Brother Reed, uh, 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 glad to have you here. We're going to talk to the church families and find out how we want to do meals and uh, we're, we're just grateful to have you here. And so let's just imagine he goes to the church family and says, hey, the Reeds are here and we're going to do some meals for them. Is there anybody who would like to take them out for a meal? And so maybe a family over here says, oh, we'd like to do it. And, and imagine with me, a little old lady comes to the pastor and she says, pastor, I can't take them out for a meal, but here, here's $50. Uh, they can take that, use that. Uh, that's for their lunch meal on Tuesday. And the pastor says, okay, thank you, sister so-and-so. Puts it in his pocket. And imagine with me, he forgets to give me the money. And so Tuesday afternoon rolls around, and, and my wife says to me, maybe, hey, is there, was, were we supposed to do lunch with someone? I said, I, I don't know. I wasn't aware of that. And so uh, we, we decide to go out on our own. Let's just say my wife and, and, and the two kids, and we go out to Chick-fil-A, and let's just say we spend 50 I mean, that'd be a lot at Chick-fil-A, but, but we, uh, I suppose if you get enough of you know, those shakes, you can make it up to $50. But imagine with me, we go to Chick-fil-A, and we spend $50, and we eat lunch, and we, we come home, and we're, we're pulling back into the parking lot, and the pastor sees us pulling in, and he remembers, oh, I their money for today's and he runs up and he knocks on the window and I roll the window down and he says hey brother Reed did you guys just do lunch I said yeah, yeah, yes pastor we just came back from Chick-fil-a and the pastor says well they already had lunch so he puts the 50 back in his pocket okay that's never happened but <laughs> would that be ethical would that be just no and so the man the, the pastor if he is ethical and he if he is just you know what he would say Brother, Brother Reed, uh, the little old sister so-and-so, she gave me $50. You need to take this for your lunch. I'm so sorry for God. And if I was to say, oh, hey, Pastor, don't worry about it. You keep the 50. He would say, no, no, no. It's been paid for. Your lunch is already paid for. You must receive it. This is what the Father is saying to us. Young people, I've already sacrificed my blood. It's already paid for for you to resist forgiveness or for you to run from forgiveness or for you to be fearful to ask him for forgiveness. You are throwing his justice back in his face. He's saying, my child, I already made the payment. Please take it. See, too, and we're going to deal with this a little bit tomorrow morning, but too often, at least in my situation, in my experience, I find myself thinking, man, I wouldn't forgive me, so why would Christ forgive me? Because he's not like me. He forgives unconditionally. Young people, you don't have to wait until you feel like you've got your track record down. Isn't that what we do? Oh, man, I haven't read my Bible, and I've not been spending any time in prayer, and, and man, I just blew it there, and okay, Lord, man, I feel so bad, but if I, if I just ask you for forgiveness now, I mean, that's like too easy. I got to make sure that I, I got to make sure that I, I, I am worthy of forgiveness, so I'm going to read my Bible for a few more days, and I'm going to try to uh, go make sure I'm faithful at church, and I'm going to make sure I don't struggle with sin, and then I'll lay my need before Jesus, because then he and I will be like, yeah, I've been working on it, so, you know, you can forgive me. <laughs> that's not what he's looking for. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. So what he's telling us is, I know who I'm working with. 
I know what kind of material you are, and that's why I paid for you. So my child, please take my forgiveness. I'm sorry I've used my, my son so many times in illustrations, but it's hard for me to, to, to... He's the only one I have, so that's how I have to use him. So anyways, uh, when, when, whenever there's a situation where I have to, to uh, administer discipline to my son, I, I don't enjoy doing that. And what I am looking for, what I am longing for, is for our relationship to be restored. And so in our, the way we do it in our home is we talk about the offense... Okay, Gilbert, what did you do? And he says, okay, was that sin? Was that wrong? Was that a, a bad attitude? Was that naughty? Whatever it was. Okay, yes. Do you deserve a spanking? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay, we administer the punishment. Okay, Gilbert, what do you need to say? Daddy, I'm sorry for being disobedient. Okay, and now what? And I, I do not like, if he doesn't ask this next question, it kills me internally. I said, Gilbert, now what, buddy? Because we're, we're still not right yet. What, now what, buddy? He says, would you forgive me? Yes. That's the question I've been waiting for. Yes, I forgive you. Of course I do. Young people, that is who the father is. He's not asking you to get your act together. He's saying, would you just ask for forgiveness? Because forgiveness is who I am. It's my nature. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I want to read one final verse here this evening that Maybe sheds a little bit more light on this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31, 32. You don't need to go there. It's a familiar verse. The scripture takes it a, a step farther in helping us to understand. The scripture says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This evening, my burden for you is to understand that Jesus is not stiff-arming you. He's calling you to forgiveness. Not only between you and him, but maybe between you and somebody else. This text here says, uh, you need to forgive because your father has forgiven you. But it doesn't just say that. Look at this. It, well, I, I didn't tell you to turn there, so, do, so just listen. Be kind one to another, tender her, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What the scripture is saying is for Christ's sake, not for your sake. For Christ's sake. You say, Brother Reed, I'm, I'm not catching what you're trying to say. You ever found yourself getting hurt? frustrated, someone said something to you that was cutting and they don't even realize it, they walk away, callous shrug of the shoulders and you, they don't realize how much you hurt and it hurts deep and everything inside of you wants to go out there, tear into them, rip into them. They make fun of you while you're playing a game because you messed up big and they all make fun of you. They, they think it's in fun and jest but you're hurting inside. At that point when you're hurt, Christ is saying, you need to forgive them for my sake. And you say, but, but Lord, you, you don't know how much they hurt me. He says, they hurt me too. And I've already forgiven them. So why don't you too? Any person that you're holding bitterness towards right now, Christ has already forgiven them. If they've not received, if they've not asked, and they've not taken their forgiveness, they're still at odds with Christ. 
but he's initiated the forgiveness. As far as Christ is concerned, I've offered it. And so what God is saying, I'm not asking you to forgive them for your sake. I'm asking you to forgive them for mine. I've forgiven them. I'll empower you. And he's saying, I've forgiven them for my sake, and I've forgiven you. Young people, we would be helped to rehearse to ourselves what we've been forgiven and how readily Christ forgives us so that we would be ready to offer that same level of forgiveness to somebody else. I have a whole message that I preach sometimes on bitterness, and the Lord is not led to preach that this week, but I just want you to know, young people, in a group like this, I would imagine there's a number of you that have been hurt deeply. And the Christ who itches to forgive, who flows forgiveness, wants to flow his forgiveness, his ready forgiveness, through you to that person who hurts you. Because forgiveness is not just what God does, it's who he is. Can I ask you all to bow your heads with me here this evening and close your eyes? Christ is standing right behind you, young man. Shame that maybe you're feeling, the sin of the past. The flesh is trying to convince you to try to make it all right on, in your own way, and Christ is standing right behind you pleading, would you just turn and humble yourself and take my forgiveness? Young people, he's not... I've said it multiple times. He, he longs to forgive if you would take him up on his offer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, it may be that some of you are still wrestling with something that maybe you need to bring before the Lord Jesus. Maybe for you, you realize tonight that you often go days, maybe even weeks, knowing that you need, for, for, need forgiveness, but you don't feel worthy of for, forgiveness, so you don't go to Christ. And, and young people, you're grieving his heart because he longs to give it if you would just humble yourself. There may be someone that needs to come to Jesus tonight and just say, Lord, I'm going to take your forgiveness. And I'm going to take an immediate forgiveness, not one that I have to earn. Maybe there's someone here in this room that you need to administer. You need to give forgiveness. Not because you feel it, not for your sake, but for Christ's. 